Radio. Right, right, right. So welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Black Crate Connect podcast, where I speak with some of the most excellent, most amazing, incredible black professionals, entrepreneurs. And today I have Bolu. Bolu. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say it properly because Anna was You did well. Me. You did well. Anna, Do it again. Bolu. <laughs> It's the energy from Bolu. Is I it? love it. How, how do I say it? Today, what? So it's, it's actually Bolu. Bolu? Okay. <laughs> you do the the Lu is up. Bolu. Okay, and how do I say your surname? Oh, fashion. Fashion. Uh, fashion. I love it. It's fa- like French. I love it. Fa- fashion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, for those that don't know, actually, Bolu, introduce yourself because so you can plug yourself. But Bolu's a boss. She's a babe. But I'm not very good at plugging myself, so this is going to be really weird. But um, I'm Bolu. I so professionally, I work in diversity and inclusion. So I'm the diversity and inclusion manager for Page Group, which is a global recruitment agency. Um. But on the side, I also own, I run a property business with my sister called Rent Buddy, which is sort of like a short term, short let accommodation style business property thing. And we're trying to expand as well at the moment. So we're acquiring properties across the UK and expanding, expanding our portfolio. Ooh, <laughs> sounds, sounds rich, sounds wealthy. I love, I love all of it. So actually, before, before I usually, I'm, I'm going to get started on your professional side, what, what made you want to start Rent Buddy? What was the reason? So... <clears throat> a few things. So for me, owning property has always been something that I have desired for a long mm. time. I know it's a very great way to build generational wealth. And I feel like, particularly as black people, well, growing up in a minority home and I, my, my parents are like first generation migrants and mm, stuff. Mm. Um, I didn't, I didn't have anything to acquire for my parents. I don't have anything. My parents don't have property. They don't have land, right? So there's nothing like, my parents moved here. I would have never thought that. Yeah, my parents moved here like 15 years ago. And, you know, so the thing is, as with many Africans or black people that move from home and come come abroad, they're usually in like very high paying job back home. And then they move here for a better life, usually for their children. And they're not in, you know, very great jobs. So Mm. my parents like left everything that they had back in Nigeria to come here and like give us Mm. better education. So basically my parents are just figuring out themselves as well. So Mm. I don't have like, I'll have things in Nigeria to like acquire, but I'm not planning on moving back to Nigeria. I don't have anything here. No. And you're from Nigeria. You wouldn't move out there. I love Nigeria. Before people come, I'd be like, <laughs> I love <laughs> sell out. <laughs> I love. I love Nigeria. Nigeria is home. Like I yeah. can't take that. Nigeria is home. But as a person, I really like order, and yeah. I feel like we have a long way to go. Like it's a beautiful place. The culture is so rich. The people are amazing, but it's also very chaotic. Let's call yeah. this way this I feel like there's just too many things happening right now that yeah. for me, I, I it's, it's too much for me. Like I, I really like the fact that I can wake up and go for a walk at 12 a.m. in the morning if I wanted to and not worry about certain things. And we're on our way, they were getting there, but we're not there yet. So mm-hmm. for me, it's important. Like I, I am trying to build wealth here. Also, unfortunately, the conversion rate for Naira to pounds is not it's very low. It's, I've, I've heard that it's going down. It's, it's really bad. Like when I moved here, it was two hundred and fifty Naira to one pound. Now it's eight hundred Naira to one pound. Oh no! Yeah, that's mad. Exactly. Why it's, is it going down though? What's the? There's. I mean, I'm not really spoiling. There's, there's a bunch of things that's happening, but this is some of the reasons why for me, I want to build wealth. On, on a currency that I know would hold value. Unfortunately, yeah. Naira is in there. And yeah. I I actually did start off buying a plot of land. Well, I put money, I invested money in Nigeria. And whilst that property appreciated in value, by the time I converted back to pounds, it's, so even though it's appreciated in Naira, the Naira's a pound which is massively dropped. So it's not, it's, yeah. I end up bringing back less than I put in. Yeah. Does that make sense? So for me, anyways, going back to why I started property, yeah. um, 
property is one of those it's a great way to build generational wealth yeah. because by god's grace if i acquire a few properties and i pay them off by the time my children are here they don't have to worry about where to live you know the money that they're earning they can focus it on doing things that they really want to do mm-hmm. um and i want to i wanted to build a safety net that mm-hmm. would allow my children be able to do that it's like mm-hmm. do things because they want to do things or because they have to do it like i'm pretty sure there's some jobs that a lot of us have done because we had to pay our bills. Yeah. So we just have to do those jobs. Yeah. But I want my kids to have enough options. Yeah, yeah. I, I want them to have stability. So that's where they're just like, you know what? I'm choosing the arts. I want to be creative. And I know maybe mm. creation, being creative might not make my money immediately, but I don't need to worry about rent. Mm. So I can stay at home and I don't mm. need to, like, I can fix on the things mm. I want to do. And unfortunately, that's not something I was able to do because mm. my parents, you know, they worked so, so hard to get me here. And unfortunately, mm. we're not as, we're not as established here as we are back mm. home. So I don't have that to fall back on like mm. everything that i have i've literally built from scratch like everything like i put myself through school like really? my accommod- yeah you didn't get student finance or anything so when well. i moved here i was i was still classified as an international student right so my first two years like i i didn't get it like international i didn't get um being a home student benefits however that did change along the way but again my parents were putting three kids through school like yeah. my, all my three sisters were so they were still international so they were paying international fee for three kids they couldn't afford to pay for my accommodation so i paid for my accommodation my feeding everything at university like i paid for myself How? i just worked so hard like I, I literally, and I think people see me mm. and they're like, "Oh, you look like you like stuff. Like you look like you, you, you like you, nice it, things." I know, but I, I literally, you've had to work for it. Yeah. I've literally had to yeah. work to get to where I am. Like I wasn't given anything. Yeah. I literally wasn't given anything. Yeah, like, yeah, at all. Well, yeah. Well, sorry. Con- continue. What well, I was gonna say, I think this is why I think your standard of living and your standard of what you want for your children is so high as well. Like what you said, because I think a lot of what you're saying about you want your children to have options as to what they can do. I feel like I was under a lot of pressure and a lot of black professionals are under a lot of pressure to quickly get into university, quickly get a job because they didn't have much to, do you know what I mean? Like much to give them. Mm. So we want to make sure that we're changing that and they have the options to explore different things. So I love the concept and the yeah. thought behind it as well. I was, um, I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, I love listening to podcasts. I, I'll put it out there. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. So I really struggle reading. Like I yeah. like listening to stuff. It's like audiobooks yeah. and stuff. And as I was listening to this podcast, and I was talking about the wealth gap between um, white people and black people. Mm. And they were talking about how it started. And mm. it literally is property is mm. the was is literally the biggest cause of the wealth gap because right. like we're talking about you know, the white people, because they've been here for so long, they bought property for yes, nothing yeah. all these years ago in like really great areas like Mayfair. Yeah. And all these really nice like Notting Chelsea. Hill and Do all you know what that. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they've been able to pass on to their kids. Meanwhile, people that migrated here, so bearing in mind, slavery only was abolished only a couple mm. of years ago. Like we always mm. forget like... Mm. And also my grandma was part of the Windrush as well. My my grandparents, they had um, very hands-on jobs. They didn't get into anything academic as well. And that's, not that they were slaves, but I feel like they were still massively at the bottom of the pile because that's all they were seen to be able to do mm-hmm. when they came to the UK. Mm-hmm. So we are still being affected by slavery. Like, I, I, my, I, I heard a really good analogy um, that describes that described the, the gap between mm. black people mm. and others in, in, in the world. Yeah. And let's put it, so imagine you're, you're about to start a hundred meter race, yeah. right? Um, white people have been set off for, like they've started the race. Yeah. Black people were held back by slavery. Yeah. Like we've literally been held back. Now yeah. they're halfway down the track and they're like, okay, now we've abolished slavery. Oh, you can go and, you know, perform at the same level as the white people. The reality is, unless you stop the people ahead of us from moving on, yeah. or you put us on a bicycle yeah. or a car to get us up to where the yeah. other people were, 
we're always going to be trying to meet up. Exactly. Do you understand? Yeah. So when people say, well, but we all have equal opportunities. Well, maybe it seems like, so it might come across as so like, oh, you know, we're all in the workplace. But the reality is there are years and years of trauma, years and years being told you, you know, you don't belong, you don't do this, mm. that we have to fight through before we get to where everybody else is. Mm. And for a lot of like the white people that are there now, it's not their fault. You know, it is what it is. Like you've been born into something and you don't know any different. In my mm. role right now, like my role is literally educating people about mm. why things are a certain way and why we're prioritizing certain mm. ethnic groups or certain genders or mm. certain um, sexualities over the others. Mm. It's not because you're not important mm. but it's because they require slightly more to get to the same place that you're at yeah. like you can go out let's use like a straight couple and a gay couple for example like you as a straight person can go out on the road and do things and you're fine like nobody's going to look at you mm. you kiss a man and no one's going to look at you mm. right mm. but sometimes when a man is kissing a man they still get odd looks and exactly. all these things so i'm right now trying to trying to explain to my colleagues or people that i work with the difference between equality and equity mm. like we need to equity is i mean i'm pretty sure you yeah, know yeah, but, yeah. but just for those that, that don't know okay explain. so basically equality is giving everybody the same thing mm-hmm. equity is giving everybody what they need to perform at the same level so mm. i'll give you a very good example imagine you had a colleague who had a disability and used a wheelchair mm. but you're like oh we're an equal opportunity client so we can't give you a wheelchair everybody just gets a normal chair mm. That is equality, but it's not equity because he's not going to be able to thrive as the same yeah, level as other exactly, people. Exactly. Equity is recognizing, okay, so I need all of you to perform at 100%, but for you to perform at 100%, so you, you're mm. dyslexic, so you might need some writing tools. Exactly. So I'll give you some writing tools. You, you're disabled, so you might need a wheelchair and maybe a screen reader. Yeah. So I'll give you that. So you, Exactly. You, oh, you're fine. Like, you're normal. You don't need anything. So equity is literally giving everybody what they need yeah. to perform at their optimum. Do you know what's crazy? I feel like a lot of companies stop at diversity. Like that, uh, like, like just let's try to make it look different. And even actually they stop at attracting, trying to attract diversity and don't even look at the inclusive piece and don't even look at the equity piece, like like you mentioned as well, and the belonging piece and etc. I want to get onto that in a second, but I want to go back to Rent Buddy and the i guess how it works how you've managed to build it because again you've built a lot by yourself so as a black woman in the uk that isn't born in the uk how have you managed to build up what rem buddy is today so i think for me the first step was understanding my why because Mm. starting your own business is very difficult it can be very difficult there'll be a lot of like setbacks and things that can deter you but if you know the reason why you're doing something you have a your your why is strong enough Mm. you're able to fight through everything so anyways I've spoken about my why. Um, I I own a property. So one thing, one target I've always set myself was I was going to buy my first house by the time I turned 25. Because, yeah, I was just like, I, I, I need that to... That was your goal. Yeah, yeah, it was my goal. But it was also a way of proving to my parents that actually all the hard work that you guys put in to get me to where I am... I'm showing you that it's paying off because I'm very smart with my money. Mm. I'm very driven. I'm very like focused. If mm. I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do mm. it. Mm. So that's the first step. Like I got my own property and then I wanted to buy another property last year. So the mm. other property I was going to buy was going to be um, a rental property. Mm. But I made some terrible investments. I think we all did in the market. What, in, in stocks? Or in stocks. Crypto? Yeah. I did a mixture of both, but actually stocks particularly. I put basically my deposit that was, because when the pandemic happened, um, I'd saved up enough before the pandemic to buy another house. I'd saved up enough to buy another house. But because everything was on halts, like there was no viewings happening. So I thought, you know what? I didn't want this cash sitting in my bank account. So let me invest it so it grows mm. over time. And when mm. everything goes back to normal, I can mm. pull it out and go buy my property. Sis, <laughs> I lost a good, I'll say like a good 85% of my money in the stock market. Like, and I'm not talking like 20, 30,000 pounds. Like I'm talking like, 
money for a deposit. Like I'm talking a lot of money. Um, and I was literally just, I remember Why like- Why did you not pull it out before it got I messed up. Day? I messed up. I messed was up. Like, was waiting for it to go back I up? I was like, yeah, I'll go yeah. back up. Because when I put the money, like it was appreciated initially. And then this whole, it's a mixture of things. It was, it was a mixture of hope because the, the market had always been flung trading. It'll yeah. go down and come back, go down and come back up. So I thought, it's going down again, it'll come back oh. up. I don't want to pull out too early. But anyways, my bad, my mistake. I, I messed up. Have you heard about hi- hyper funds? No, what is that? Hyper funds. So I've, because I'm very risk averse with, with investing right now, I put money, my money into hyper funds where it's guaranteed to grow your money. So what it, what the whole idea is, the one that I've invested into is owned by Binance. And the whole theory is, is that we will ga- get three times worth our money in 18 months time. Um, and they will use the money that we invest to do whatever that they're going to do. They're going to make more money from the money that we invest. So say, for example, talking small money, you might invest a thousand, right? In 18 months time, you're guaranteed to get 3000, like guaranteed. And you see your money grow. But a lot of people do hyper funds and they do it together as well. There's people that put their money together and they watch it grow. Is, is, is hyper fund, is it like FCA regulated? That's a good question. Because I've heard it's, of it's, so many, I've heard of so many of these things. And that then, like they and, start and, money, off, and money just goes. And yeah. then, in two years time they go ghost so i'm always very very careful things you have things like guarantee three times like i want to know what your regulations are because yeah. there's so many funds that over the like pandemic have, have like closed down yeah um and the reality is because they're not fca regulated the bank can't do anything about it so for me like i always check all these yeah, things yeah your the thing is with that i put in the money that i'm okay to, to lose gotcha. like i wouldn't advise you putting your whole life savings in there just put money that you're like okay if this grows great if it doesn't then i'm okay with it but yeah, anyway fair. but anyway so that's so that's what happens so so goodness. i couldn't buy a property but i was like okay so basically i could no longer buy a property but i was like i really like property like yeah it is a good way to make money and your 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 money is it's it's one of the safest ways to invest because yeah. property is always going to appreciate yeah, always. right it's always going to appreciate yeah. like even if it might have slight dips it's always going to appreciate yeah. um so i was like okay how else can i go into the property business without having so much um initial like equity like so much money initially um and i started like doing research into rent to rent mm. and basically rent to rent is when you rent a property from somebody mm-hmm. and you sublet it mm. but with the permission of the landlord mm-hmm. um and i use it for short not, not no illegal oh god please. Please, please i mean people do it illegally as not illegally sorry they'll rent the property from the landlord and not tell the landlord what yeah. they're using it for I really don't like stress in this life. Yeah. And one thing I pride myself on is my integrity. Yeah. Like I don't ever want somebody. Out. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, I don't yeah. ever want to be in a situation where I'm, I don't like yeah. it. I would rather you not give me the property um, than you um, give yeah. it to me. No. So yeah. the landlord that we work with, amazing. So it's a husband and wife. They're great. It took us a while to find our first property. Yeah, like how, like how did you find that? Because I've heard about rent-to-rent and I'm, I thought to myself, first of all, how do you find it? And how, how do you, um, I guess guarantee the income how does it work like financially but i'm sure you go into it so um so first of all i i'm I'm partnered with my sister okay um that definitely helps because you have a you have a second person that you can split the cost with because it's not too expensive to go into rent to rent but like furnishing a place and everything can be quite expensive Mm. but if you if you're working with somebody that you trust this is the other thing it's really important Mm. to go into business especially when it concerns money with somebody Mm. that you trust my sister's my sister Mm. i'm not just because she's my sister like i've seen how she handles money and i trust her with money So we decided to partner together. Um, but anyways, we basically did some research. We reached out to some agencies. We got our first property on. I told the landlord from the get-go, like, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. Now, a lot of the times for prop- for landlords to trust you, they want to that you have a track record. Mm. But because it was our first one, I didn't necessarily have a track record. However, I was a property owner. So, so I helped. told them, I was like, look, yes, this is going to be the first time we've done this, but 
I own a property, so I know the importance of maintaining a property yeah. to the standard that you would like. Yeah. You can come and view my house if you want to. So you see the state I keep my house mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Also, go look at our website. Like, you mm-hmm. know that for me, attention to detail is really important. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like, I basically showed them who I was outside yeah. of my business. So you, you know you can trust me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm somebody you can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... I was happy for them to, to carry out a credit check on my sister and I. Mm. So my sister is also in a very, she's she's in a very high paying job. She's a director of Fidelity. I don't know if you know the, yeah, pro- yeah, 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 she's a director of Fidelity. Yeah. So so, so, they, so you guys are trustworthy profiles. Exactly. Anyway. So okay. we just needed to make sure that that was the case. And then we, my sister and I sat down, we did all the, like the legal stuff, like registering the company, creating a bank account, all the legal stuff. And then we had to decide like, what our strategy is. So like, what areas did we want to look into? How much money were we happy to put down? Um, how much time can we both devote to the property? Because I'm single, for example, and I live by myself. My sister is married. She mm. has a child and has a second one mm, coming. So mm. like, we had to discuss like the nitty of it. But fundamentally, there, is, there are a few different strategies you can do with rent to rent. We figured out which one was going to work best for us. Mm. Um, there are some that are like low stress, low return. Some are mm. high stress, high return. So what we what we what we do is low high. Stress. No, no, oh, it's actually you're high stress. You you chose high stress, but it's high return. So, yeah, it's so high return. Talk us through the difference. What's the difference? In okay, so there is one that you can do, which is like you rent out a whole house. So let's say it's like a three bed mm. with a living room. Mm. You convert the living room to another bedroom. So basically, you make four bed four rooms out of it, mm. right? So let's say I can rent a three bed house now for £2,000 and mm. you're renting as a family. However, if you break those rooms, if you make your living room into a, into a bedroom, that's four bedroom, mm. you can rent out each room for probably about £800 a month, mm. right? At a minimum. Mm. In London, I would cost in London, I'd probably like £1,000. Mm. Okay, but let's say, let's miss in a minute, let's do £900. If you do 900 per room times four, that's what, 2000 no, no, three, six. My maths is terrible. So one, eight, yeah, three, six, that's three, yeah. six. That's three six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here. Yeah, I, I'm, like, I'm not going to say that. Because <laughs> um, I know nine times two is one eight. So, one eight, so three six is 3,600. Okay. So for rents that you're paying 2,004, you're making 3,600. So question, does the landlord need to have a buy to let property? To, so Of course he has to because to rent out. So two. if anything on three beds and under, they don't have to have, it's, it's called a HMO, House of Multiple Occupancy. Um, okay. If it's a three bed and under, they don't need a HMO license. But okay. if it's three, three people and over, they need a HMO license. So basically, HMO license is you telling the council that you are going to have multiple people who are not related living in the house, but you're going to put safety things in place to make sure things like a fire, a, um, a fire alarm, a fire door, like they're just things that you have to put in place to make sure that it's safe for you to do that. Um, there are some boroughs that don't require a HMO license, but a lot of London boroughs now require a HMO license, but some that they don't, that don't. Mm. So you just need to do your research yeah. into like what boroughs have it, what boroughs don't, don't, or what landlords have it and what landlords don't. However, the, the license for HMO landlord is public. Sorry, the record is public. So, you can go onto each council's website. For example, you can go to the Greenwich Council website and you can request the entire list of HMO properties in Greenwich. Really? It's and then, public and, information. Can you, so then can you contact, how do you contact the landlords? Then they, All the information's there? Yeah. It's public ah, information. So it's basically like, that. yeah, it's, it's public information. Um, some borrowers would ask you to pay to give that information. So they might say that you have to pay £50 and then they give you the entire list. Mm. Um, but it's, it's nothing. Mm. Um, but like most borrowers will give it to you for free. But that information is public. Anyways, that's like the low stress, mm. like tenants are in there for a year. So you don't need to worry. You just get the month, monthly mm. rent. Or you can do what we do, which is the short-term let, which is the Airbnb version. And basically, same thing. So our property at the moment is a four-bed house. Um, the rent that we pay is 
it's 2,100 that we pay on rent. Mm. Um, we've done up the property and now we can rent it out per night. Mm. So we rent it out per night for 250 pounds per mm. night, right? Mm. The minimum occupancy we've had since we've we've had the property is um, is 22 nights. So if you work out the cost, so if you do 250 times 22, that's 5,500 and I rent it 2,100. Mm. Um, but obviously you have to like take mm. construction bills and all that stuff. Mm-mm. But that's like at the minimum. Mm. Most like since we started, most of the most we we tend to be pretty much occupied as from like three nights. So I'll say occupancy rates tend to range from between like eighty five to ninety five percent. But it's high stress because you have people checking out every two days, every three days. So the so cleaners, to... the cleaners always need to go in. You need to change the linen all the time. You yeah. need to like you always have to like be present. However, we put things in in place to make sure that we don't have it's to do very much. Yeah. Exactly. So we have like cleaners that go in. Like we we send them like the check in list for the month. They go in and like every time people check just out. Just being organized. Exactly. We have yeah. like a key box. Right. So we just like figured out what are the th- what are the things that could take our time and how can we automate those things? Question. So I read recently on Instagram that there was a woman that done, she rented out an Airbnb property and she never left. Like she didn't leave. Have you ever had a situation? Are you scared that people just would not, would take the key or do you have any precautions in place if people just don't leave the place? Like what are the, I guess the backup options if people... That's a good question. We haven't had that yet. Okay. Um, but I might be wrong, but in the UK short-term lets so anything on the three months is it three months it's three months anything on the three months the tenant doesn't have any rights okay anything over three months so if you sign a tenancy so it's the difference between basically there's a difference in contracts i don't know what the legal term is but right. if you're in a short-term let's under three months you don't have any rights if, right. you, if you're in a if you're in a in a tenancy over three months you have rights so i right. can't just ask you to leave right because we do short-term lets and nobody's rents out i can literally just send people in there to kick you out okay and because it's you, I, I've not signed a contract with you that's over three months. So legally, you're not protected in my property. How do you manage the, the whole key situation as well? We've got a key lock, got a key code. Okay. But we also have a ring doorbell. So, um, so I see who comes in and out. Also, we, ch- we tend to change the code every week. So when our ah. cleaners go at the end of the week, they change the code. Okay. So whoever who's come last month cannot come and access it with the same okay, code. Okay, okay. That's what I was thinking as well, like the logistics behind that. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. It sounds like you've really thought everything out and put it all together in an organised way it, to make it less stress. It's a year and a half of planning like and research. Really? Yeah. I'm very thorough. And like I said, I don't like stress. Of, of course, I know we've chosen the high stress option, but... You've made it soft. I yeah. <laughs> you softened it up. Sis, I don't like stress in this yeah. life. I really don't. Um, but yeah, we basically just found ways to make sure that it's obviously there's still the odd things that you deal with. Like for example, this lo- so last week we had a session where someone had rented the place for two nights. Even though we'd put it on our thing, we made it very clear that there's no party. They decided to throw a party, um, and like they pretty much made a big mess um but airbnb is great with things like that like if you complain they didn't even argue with you they just give you a refund so we just asked our cleaners to go and like we're like tell us how much everything's gonna cost they told us and we, we messaged airbnb and they gave us the money so it was like so, not stressful okay. at all okay. um or we had another situation last week where because of that party thing they left so much like rubbish right. and it didn't fit into like our main bin and like the foxes came and ate it and the neighbors called oh, me to no. complain and be like this is a family area but again i think 
years of working in recruitment and customer service, you learn how to manage people and like be understanding with that. And I was just really apologetic and I was able to like manage the situation and I got our cleaners to go and like clean up the whole courtyard. I send them chocolates and wines to say sorry. Just like Aww, things like appease cause them. That, cause, that, Cause that must be a lot for them to go in to think they're going to do a normal change of linen and then there's all mess in yeah. there. I'm talking about the neighbors. So neighbors had complained oh, that it was like a mess. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Oh, the cleaners, I pay them extra of yeah. course. But like, like the neighbors as well, cause they complained. Oh, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. really sorry. Like, yeah. Yes, chocolate and wine because I don't, again, don't for me, that. it's, for my working relationships, it's, it's important that I'm able to maintain them in a way that works for both parties. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I might make mistakes. There are things that might happen, but what can I do to appease situations? That's what I always think about yeah, like, yeah. okay, bottle of wine and chocolate will cost me 15 pounds, but inevitably it means that these people are, are less likely to complain about me again. Yeah. Or like if there's an issue, they'll come and talk to me about it. They yeah. won't get aggravated. So if there are things that I can do to, ma- to maintain the relationship, I'll do it. I like that. Yeah. I like that approach. I feel like even though um, you're kind of new to this, how long have you been doing this for? Oh, very new. We we launched in March. So you sound like you've been doing this legit five to 10 years. But remember, so before I started, so before I moved into recruitment, I worked property for eight years. Yes, I remember. Foxton's. Well, I worked for Greystar. It was, it was Catherine I worked for Foxton's. Oh, but I yeah, worked for yeah. Greystar, which was ah. a Loxy property company. Um, they're the ones that, a lot of like the high rises in Canary, they own it. So I'm used to dealing with right. properties. I was thinking, <laughs> I know you've done a lot of research, but yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. is a lot of information. It's a lot to manage whilst you're doing a full-time job as well. Yeah. Have you had, or would you take, so if anyone like kind of listened to this podcast and they said, do you know what? I want to join this or I want to do what you're doing. Would you either A, teach it to other people, teach mm-hmm. the blueprint, or is there a way people can invest in another property with you for you to manage is that too much stress for you to take that on yeah. is there anything or is, is, is it a no story do your research and figure out yourself yeah. like what's the option I'm always happy to help people like for me I'm not I'm not a gatekeeper of information I'm very big on like let all of us make money there's yeah. enough for all of us to make so yeah. I'm happy to I'm happy to share my knowledge I'm only I'm only here because somebody else was very kind enough to give me to share their knowledge with me he didn't have to he was just like I was like look I need help and this man was like well, I know somebody let me introduce like somebody helped me to get here so I'm happy to help other mm. people within reason because I also have a full-time job mm-hmm. um but as part of my expansion expansion plans like if somebody comes to me and says you know I have a property I live abroad and I need somebody to manage this property no problem I can do that for you and we'll like I'll give you a percentage of the revenue we'll share all of that so I'm happy to like partner with people mm. um so th- but they're things I have capacity on things that I don't um but yeah, I'm definitely happy to yeah. partner with people. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's really going well. What And also, what are some of the kind of hot areas, hot points that you'd recommend if anyone's thinking of doing their research and doing it themselves? What areas would you recommend? Either in London or is it popping in Manchester or Birmingham? Like, what areas would you say? So there's currently a tricky thing going on in London. I, mm. I, people are finding their ways around this. But so Airbnb has a policy in London that you can only put your property on Airbnb for a maximum of three months. What? Yeah, so three months, 90 days. So it doesn't have to be three months only, but like an accumulation of 90 days. So it could be like you rent like four days in January and 20 days in December. and But in a year, you're only allowed to do a maximum of three months on Airbnb. Really? The reason that is, is because a couple of years ago, they found out a lot of landlords were kicking out their full-time tenants to make their properties Airbnb. And it was increasing homelessness in, in London particularly. Oh, so they put a rule to basically say that you basically can't do that. Yeah. Um, so that's why they put that in London. So our properties just on the outskirts of London is in Kent um, because right. that rule doesn't apply in Kent. Oh. Um, but it, it applies in London. However, people are finding ways around it. You know, it's not impossible. I, I have friends who still do it in London. Okay. Um but the way that I get around it, for me, like I said, it's important that I do things by the book. I'm not, yeah. I, I personally, I don't have the mind for it. I don't. So I just haven't. Mm. Um, 
But I have friends who do it in Manchester and are making stupid money. Like because Manchester. I'm thinking it's cheaper up there to exactly, rent Exactly, exactly. I have a friend who's renting his property for 500 pounds a month. It's a three bed. He still also puts his property up for 200 a night, but his overhead costs are just so much lower. So he's making so much more money because oh. whilst I'm paying rent of 2,100, I'm yeah. charging the same as him. He's paying rent of 500 pounds and charging the same as me. So I'm thinking that. Yeah, well. like Manchester, pace outside of London, but it's still like really hot spots that people want to travel to mm, and, mm. you know, we need houses to stay, might not want to stay in a hotel. Because the reason why a lot of people stay with us, we get like contractors, so people who um, are coming for work for a couple of days. So they want to have a kitchen and they don't yeah. want hotels. They want to still be together. Or we have like families who are traveling together. And again, mm. they want a kitchen. They want like a communal space and hotels mm. doesn't give them that. Um, so like places like Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, I've heard can be quite good. Yeah. For, for is, is there anything that you do kind of outside of Airbnb to market yourself for renters or not you're figuring out not at the moment just okay. because my, my sister and i we both got really busy with work so we both got a promotion and work got really busy well um, thank you. you thank you so work got really busy so we're just like less like the what we the one we currently have is going really well yeah. let's navigate like let's give ourselves a couple of months like figure out our new jobs our new space and then we plan on doing more i plan on like my next area of focus is i want to get on more properties but ideally i want to manage properties for people who maybe have multiple properties and they don't live in the country. So they don't want to deal with the, they don't want to deal with the tenants. Like, so we don't only do like rent to rent short term. We also do property management. Uh. Um, so we, we, my sister has a few properties in Croydon that she's bought. So we manage that as part of our business. Right, okay. um, but we also have like family members who don't live, who don't live in the UK, but have properties here and, can't come and do the guardian and stuff. So like they pay us like to, not they don't pay us. We rent the property like we would with our short term there and mm. we give them like a percentage of the profit. Mm. A percentage of it goes back into maintaining the property right. and we keep a cut as well. So right. the, the next thing that we're looking into do is just finding people who have properties who, either them or their family members who they don't want to manage and we manage it for them. This sounds like a really good, like viable, lucrative, long-term business. All these words, but it sounds like it's, because I've heard people talk about rent to rent and I've heard people say that what they're doing, but you've um, explained it in such an articulate way that makes sense, Thank you. like financially as well. So well done to you and your sister, by the way. Thanks. Big, big Thank up you. you guys for Thank that. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to take it back a little bit to um, your career journey. I know you've recently got a promotion. When did you get promoted? It's been less, it's been like three weeks. Three weeks ago? Yeah. To from, from what to what? I know you're senior, so you're senior. I'm senior manager now. So before I was business manager and now okay. I'm senior manager. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. That's such a big Thanks. company. So we're going to get onto kind of how we got, how we, how you became promoted and worked for Page Group mm -hmm. and everything. But you used to work in property mm -hmm. and then you came to Aspire <laughs> and you found me. That's how we met. <laughs> we used to work together at Aspire. It's amazing. The same place that I mentioned, uh, those who listened to the first podcast episode and it's the same place where I met Bolub as well. Um, what made you switch from property to recruitment? Um, so... A few things. Number one, property. I really enjoyed working in property. It was great. Um, but the working hours weren't conducive for the lifestyle that I wanted. So a lot of the times right. in property is like you can't work a standard nine to five. In, in property market that I worked in anyway. Right. Because a lot of our tenants or landlords who wanted to buy were in work. So they could only do viewings before work or after work. Right. right? So instead of working a nine to five, you end up working at eight to eight. Right. Because you have to be available before they go to work or after they finish work. Mm. For me, work-life balance is important. Like mm. I've, I got to a stage in my life where I'm just like, I've, I've made enough now that I can make a decision to 
prioritize my life outside of my ni- like my nine to five. Mm. So I just decided that I I didn't want to work stupid hours anymore. Okay, that was it. Was simply that. That was it. That was it. Yeah. And then recruitment. Why recruitment? <laughs> I didn't plan on coming into recruitment. <laughs> it's been how many years now? I've been in recruitment now for five years. I didn't plan twenty seventeen yeah, five years. I didn't plan on entering recruitment. I mean, do you know the do you know the story of how I got into no, Aspire? No, no, tell me. Ah, oh, gosh, let me sit down. <laughs> let me, tell me. Let me, <laughs> let me sit down. Tell me. <laughs> so, um, so basically, I was in a tricky place when I graduated university. So I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but after college. And I, I was supposed to go to university straight away, but mm. we had sent out my passport off for renewal. I was not a Brit- British citizen. Mm. And the UK Home Office had my passport for two years. What? Yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't, get, they didn't send it back. It was still in process. So I basically, two years? Yeah. So I basically couldn't go to university because I didn't have papers to enroll. Right. Um, so what was you doing for two years? I worked in property. Okay. So, but how did you work without a passport? No, no, I'm not. I wasn't illegal in the country. Right. I just didn't have. So I had like this certificate that was like right. To, so basically, showed that I had the rights to work. Right, right. Got but for you. me to enroll and then like apply for student finance and all, all these other things, like I needed my. They needed my physical yeah. passport and I didn't have it. Um, and also, I think something along the lines of the passport that I had at the time was going like, to expire mm. in like two years or a year and a half or so mm. for me to enroll on a three-year course mm. they need to know that i'll be able to be in the country for a three-year course basically i couldn't enroll to university but i could work mm. so i was on a contract initially so when i found out about this whole thing i um so graduated from college in like finished college in like july mm. um and i was like, okay i'm gonna work for the summer because my head i'm still gonna go to university in september thinking my pass will come back in time so i this was my first ever job i I was like walking, I went to Lewisham College. I was like just walking on like Lewisham Road, like handing out my CVs. Aww, and I walk into- back in the day, I know, I know, I know. And I remember there's, there's a McDonald's in Lewisham and there's, yeah. there was a recruitment agency right opposite the McDonald's. I was mm. sitting there like having, like we, my friend and I were taking a break from handing out CVs. And um, I saw an agency across and I was like, oh, we should go in there after like handing our CV. And she, she was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we walked over and I went on, I was like, hi, like I'm looking for a job, like here is my CV. And the mom was like, yeah. what experience do you have? And I was like, to be honest, nothing really. Like I just left college. I moved here a couple of years ago. I don't have experience, but I had the mouth. I literally, <laughs> I remember that, like, I've got the mouth and like, I'm a great people's person. I basically, I like, just sold myself on the spot. And she was like, I like you. And she's like, I have a, so there's a client I'm recruiting for. Um, they're doing some interviews tomorrow. Are you available tomorrow for an interview? I was like, yeah. Um, so she put me forward for the interview and I got the job. Literally, like I went in there. Where was it? So it was for Greystar. Right, okay, um, okay. And yeah, I got the job. And I remember like the guy in my interview just saying like, I've just never met somebody who has so much character. Like, I think for me, I've always said this. My interviews, I see them as a conversation. Yeah, always. Because it's very much you, of course, seeing if I'm right for your job, but it's also me seeing if you're always, right for me as an, yeah. as, as an individual. And the only reason I got to the point where I could do this is because I'd been saving, even though I, I wasn't in like a, a full-time job, I was doing like odd things on the side to mm. make money. So I had enough cushion that I'm like, I can choose the company I want to work for. Mm. I didn't want to, like, unfortunately, some of us, we just, we don't have enough money to, to have that autonomy. So mm. we end up in jobs that we don't want to be in. Mm. But for me, it was important that I was in a job that I actually enjoyed. Mm. Anywho, I got that job. It was supposed to be a summer job, two months. That was it. My passport didn't come out in September. And I said to my manager, I was like, I knew my contract was run in September, like, let me know if you guys want to extend because I, it doesn't know how I'm going to go to university. And he was like, I was hoping, he was like, he was like, of course it's really sad that you've not been able to get to uni. But he was like, you're such a great asset to the team that of course I'd extend your contract. So they ended up giving me a year contract to cover the time that I was going to be here. Right. Um, so I did a year, 
by the September of the next year, my passport still hadn't come out. They extended it for another year. So I ended up working with that company for two years. My passport finally came back. I went to university. But when I said I was going to go to invest, we were like, we don't want to lose you. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to invest. My investors in Manchester, like the offices in London, like what happens? And they're like, we have branches all around the UK. So we'll oh, transfer wow. you. So they gave me a... a a part-time contract. So whilst I was in Upper Manchester, we had a few Look accommodations there. I know. So I disguise, worked there. Yeah. So I worked there like some of some evenings and some weekends. Mm. But then I realized for me, like I I was finding really hard to juggle work and university at the same time. Mm. Like everybody's different. Some people can, but I just needed to focus. Um, especially taking two years out of education. It took me a while to like, get back mm. in the swing of doing work. So I called them and I was like, I don't think I can have a part-time job. Like, I really need to focus on my education. So they were like, okay, we'll change your contract to a summer contract. So you don't have to work during school term, but when you're on the summer holiday, you come back and work for us. And I was like, perfect. So basically, I, and I was in uni for four years. So every summer, my home was London. So I'll come back to London and I'll work at the head office in, in Cannon Street. So I basically ended up working for this company from 2011. So just getting that experience yes. at university. That's amazing. To 2017, right? So I worked two years before uni and four years during mm. uni. Now, when I graduated from university and I came to Aspire to find a job, I was looking for graduate jobs. But because I had worked for technically six years, mm. I wasn't seen as a graduate. Right. And I'd taken two years off before uni as well. So right. I was going to be a more mature student than most graduates. So basically a lot of graduate schemes just weren't taking me because I was too mature and too experienced. And mm. the graduate schemes was to give people that didn't have experience any experience. Right. But at the same time, because the experience I had was part-time experience, I wasn't experienced enough to go into a full-time job as an experienced employee. Mm. So it was just like a really tricky place. I wasn't a graduate, but I wasn't experienced enough to be a candidate. In between, yeah. I was in between, and I had quite a few interviews. There were some that went really well. I mean, I did get like one or two offers, but the company culture, by the time I looked at it, I was thinking, this place looks higgy-hagger, and I am way too outspoken to be in certain environments. Like, what? But what did you notice, though? Because people that are graduates and that are looking at companies, what key things did you notice that you said, you know, this culture isn't right, this thing didn't feel right? A few things. Number one, the interview process. Like, what right. are the things you require of me in the interview mm. process? And how flexible are you depending on what I meant? So, for example, I have clients all the time tell me we only take people from top 20 universities mm -hmm. um, who got to one and above and studied history blah, blah 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 statistically the amount of i think it's like 73 percent of graduates are white mm. um i think it's only like 12 or 11 percent of graduates are black mm. and that number goes further down when you look at the top 20 universities so if you're asked if you're telling me that you only want people from top 20 universities you're already fishing from a very yeah. not diverse pool so which means everybody in your company are going to look the same it's going to be a very, very homogeneous group like they're all probably going to be from the same like place and for me diversity is really important in where i work like not because i'm a minority but also i like to learn from people i like exactly. when i say diversity i'm not just talking about like having other black people like it could be yeah. like chinese it could be australian it could be this that's how it could you be, grow like it could be somebody who's yeah. disabled somebody who's gay i i really yeah. love variety yeah and that's what i loved about aspire it was very it was such aspire. a little pick and pull so random honestly it was <laughs> so such a random honestly you, you can sit beside a posh person and then next minute sit beside someone that's like a rock star someone that lives on a boat yeah like, <laughs> like, oh yeah do you remember like it was just so random and i was just like yeah i quite like this space but that's why i yeah, loved it yeah that's exactly why i loved it anyways taking it back to my job had a few interviews and just things weren't working i remember alice alice was my recruiter at yeah, the time yeah. one day she called me to come into the office and she's like she sat down and she was like i'm not sure i'm gonna say this to you but this is me being really honest I look at you in comparison to a lot of the candidates that I work with and I think you're fantastic. Like you're, you, 
you've got the right personality because oh, I was thinking of sales roles. You have the right personality. You're very you're a very good people's person. You research. You're intelligent, mm. but clients are not picking you. And I don't think it's because you're not good enough the job. I think it's because they're intimidated of you. Mm. They worry that you're going to come and you're going to disrupt things. They're not mm. used to mm. black women being so outspoken mm. and knowing what they want and putting their foot down. Mm. So it's safer for them to know to hire what they are used to hiring. Like, so let's leave her. She's yeah, she's too much. Yeah. So she was like, I know. She was like, I know it's probably difficult to hear, but that's what I think is happening. But do you know what? I think you'll be. I think you've identified a niche. Here. A lot of our, a lot of clients we work with don't recognize that their process is unconsciously biased. Mm. So she was like, why don't you come and work for us? And I was like, no, I don't want to do recruitment. I literally was, I was so adamant. I was like, nah. That was when they said that to me as well. And I was like, nah. And I was like, nah. <laughs> so I continued to read for a couple of weeks. And and one day I came in the office and Paul was there. Um, Paul was our CEO. Mm. And um, he was like, the consultant's been saying some really good things about you, but you're being really stubborn. You don't want to work with me. I was like, yeah, no. And then he was like, we've got a Christmas party. Come and come to the Christmas party. So I was like, cool. So I came to the Christmas party and like, it was fun. It was vibes. Ended up like getting on with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then we had another conversation and he was like, look, I think you should interview for us. I know you, you don't want it, but interview, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. And you can decide whether or not you want it. He was like, you know, you've, you've, you've spent time with people that work here. Yeah. You like the culture. You're like, us. Oh, you get on like, yeah. you know, you're a people person. I think you would do really well in recruitment. And I was like, okay, fine. I mean, at this point, but guys can't be choosing. I've been looking since <laughs> September. <laughs> I've been looking for that. Right, go on then. <laughs> and literally, I was like, I beg. At this point, I would take it. So, anyways, I did the interview. I got the job. So, I got the job in literally like, I, and I remember I said to myself, because I've been looking since September, and I was like, if by December 20th I hadn't found the job, I was going to pause my job search until January just to allow myself to enjoy Christmas because it can be really exhausting. It's very exhausting. It's very, yeah. it's very draining. It really knocks on your self. yourself. It, it really, it can really affect your self confidence. 100%. As well. I know I'm good. Yeah, but but you have to explain that you're good <sighs> all the time. Like, I, I feel it as well. Like, so sorry, the other day when I um, I was interviewing, someone asked me, and it's like, Lissy, have you worked with C level people? I said, Have you seen my LinkedIn? Like, and then I had to stop myself for a second. I was like, oh, goodness, of course. I have to explain myself because I'm in an interview. But obviously, <laughs> you know, but continue. Sorry. Yeah, exactly that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, I literally got the job offer the morning of December 20th. And I was like, look at God. Look at God. So anyways, I went and enjoyed my Christmas. Amazing. Had a good time. That's basically how I got into recruitment. I didn't plan on doing it. But do you remember when I joined, I focused on, I was working in graduate team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was because I recognized that there were so many people who were leaving university didn't even know how to, like, ha didn't have experience working on their CVs before. Didn't know how to, like, put themselves in, like, their actual yeah. interview process. But particularly minority groups were being um, consciously or unconsciously excluded from the recruitment process. So for me, I literally made my personal agenda to work with minority groups. Yeah. So ethnic minorities, disabilities, like, people, like, I, I work with people that, like, you know, had, had like, teenage pregnancies and all that yeah, stuff. Because yeah. I was just like, I want to, I want to give you a stepping stone to get to, because, I, I know where you're coming from because I've just been there. Yeah. So I literally insist on working on the graduate team because I'm like, I want to help people navigate what I've just gone through. Mm. So that's literally why I worked in the graduate team because I'm like, I get it. I've and been there. Working with graduates must have been even more difficult because I worked with adults that were experienced as well and it was very, very difficult for some people because it's more things like, have you prepared for your interview? Have you read through the job description? Have you um, you know looked, looked into the company? So there must have been a lot of hand-holding that you had to do Especially I, for those that are from underrepresented backgrounds as well. That don't absolutely. Have but I, I loved it. Really? So much. Why? I think, okay, me as a person, fundamentally the person oh. that I am is what makes me tick is helping people who wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to get yeah. somewhere. 
So for me to be in a position where I can, you've, because of, you grew up in a Lewis socioeconomic background, um, your school didn't have a careers section. So mm. you don't know how to write a CV. Let me help you write your CV. Yeah. You don't know how to interview because you've never been told. Your parents didn't have, didn't have corporate jobs. Exactly. Let me help you. Yeah. It gave me joy helping people that didn't know how to navigate things. Mm. It genuinely did. Like, if there is, if I look at the two jobs that I've had, if I can go back to doing the one thing, it will, I will go back to do graduate recruitment. I loved it so much. I loved it. Really? It, it gave me a sense of fulfillment. Like, I, I look at my LinkedIn now and there's so many people who have placed in their jobs years ago that are still in, that, in their job. But also, like, if I look at, like, my, um, like, on, on, you know, on Instagram, people can, like, leave you reviews and stuff um, on, like... On LinkedIn. Recommendations. Yeah. If I look at my recommendations, people saying things like, I didn't think I was good enough to get this job, but Bolu gave me confidence. That stuff makes me happy. Yeah. Like, helping other people That's be happy priceless. makes me happy. That's priceless. Genuinely. And I feel like people that are experienced, you know what you're doing already. You don't yeah. need me. Yeah. I want to help people who don't know how to. The reason I'm in my job right now is I want to help women who don't understand that, you know, speak in a certain way or not putting yourself forward for certain opportunities means that you would never get there. Mm. I, want, I basically want to help people who don't know to know. So mm-hmm. graduate recruitment is the only thing that I did. Was, after I left, I, when I first moved to Page, I worked as a, as a recruitment consultant, but I did experience, I hated it. Why did you hate oh, it? You guys, you you feel like you know what you're doing because you've been in this job. So when I take the prep for an interview, there's pride because yeah, I'm like, well, I've been there. It's hard. We've I've been there. I don't people. like it. I feel yeah. like we graduates, they're very open. They're like, we don't know. It's okay. So yes, there's, a, there's. I feel like I, I have a checklist of things I always see. Check mm. your CV, do this. I know, mm. check, you know, it's a bit more hand-holding, mm. but I feel like they're a lot more receptive. And mm. I feel like they tend to be a lot more appreciative, especially if it's their first job. You've helped them land a job in somewhere that they would have never thought mm. about getting into. Or And they're sweet as they're well. Sweet. They're really sweet and honest. Like, I've, like whenever I've spoken to, to graduates, they're just, they're very transparent. Whereas as you get older, you know the game a little bit. So you, know you one will accept to offer. And then before you start, sorry, I'm, I'm pulling out and I'm like oh graduates I mean I'm not saying graduates don't do that but they're a bit more transparent so you might know a bit more what's going I on. would 120% yeah. pick graduate recruitment over experiential recruitment if I had chance I'll do it all over again I loved really? it I absolutely loved it so when you moved to um Paige doing recruitment what type of roles did you do like how how was that I know you said you didn't like it but I'm conscious that this is the <laughs> so this <laughs> I'm still at Paige group I'm still here, so I have to be <laughs> respectful in how I say this. Um, so I used to work... What I learned. I used to work... Not... Procurements. Okay. I used to recruit to procurements in the public sector. Okay. All right, that that, that says enough. Okay. That, <laughs> from, from what you was doing at Aspire... I used to do media and digital. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like... Procurements. I'm like, that's a, that's a jump. That is a jump. Do, do you know what? Like, every... It's okay to say every industry isn't for everybody because, yeah. like, I remember when I used to do sales at WBR, when I used to do event sales, I was selling digital marketing and e-commerce events and I was doing well at it, getting the sales. And one time they put me on pharmaceutical um, manufacturing the events i cried tears on my desk tears because i said i don't know how to have conversations with these people i don't know how to relate i don't even know what i'm talking about i don't know anything (laughs) i think i i I, again i know people work for different reasons people work just to pay their bills people work because it gives them a sense of fulfillment and it pays their bills Mm. you know they're different reasons for me personally it's important that my job allows me to be who i am yeah i want to be my full self i I, it's exhausting yeah. hiding who you are or having yeah. to act like a certain way to get things done. I don't. 
when I worked in media and digital, because people that work in that industry tend to be really creative, yeah. they're fun. I can be myself. Mm. I can talk to them just be like, girl, go in the interview and, you know, speak this way and do this. In procurement, in the public sector. Yeah. I'm prepping. I, I said, please, it's, this doesn't allow me be myself because, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a type of person that works in that industry. Exactly, yeah. And no, there's nothing wrong with the industry at all. Like, you know, I, I, know, I know some people that work in procurement. You know what works for you? My, my brother and I worked in it, but it just didn't work for me. Yeah, it didn't it work just, for you. It didn't work for my person. It didn't allow me to be myself. Yeah. So then how did you transition then into a DNI role um, as well? Like, what did that look like? <sighs> how much time? I'm looking at <laughs> Basically, I know there was a big jump in DNI role when George Floyd happened. Yes. Right. Everybody wanted to be diverse. That's it. Just diverse. But continue. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Bolu. I was shocked when I saw you go to a DNI role, not because I didn't think you were interested in it, just because I didn't know your company um, even had those positions in general. Okay. I didn't know. So I was like, this we is did. good. It was a creative role. I love that. That's okay. And that's completely fine. It's a journey. So you know how for, for a lot of people, the transition was Judge Floyd. Mine was Meghan Markle. Right. Because that was big. But people don't really talk about it as they talk about George yeah. Floyd, right? Because she's still alive, that's why. And she's mixed. Yeah, as well. So don't, and, and she's in the royal family, she's rich. Well, she was, I don't know, anyway. Um, basically, what happened was, so even when I moved to Michael Page, there were conversations I'd been having. So because of how my experience that I had at Aspire was so positive, people were great, it was just such an amazing culture. It was important to me that the next company I moved to, mm. the culture was also very good. Mm, mm. And I was really honest about that in my interview process, you know. Mm. I was like, for me, there are things that I really liked about my company and I want that to be replaced here. The impression I had about Michael Page was very different. And I was just like, I'm not sure if this is a company that I will thrive in. Um, I know the kind of people that work here. I just don't see what I want to see. So I don't see myself as in this organization. The recruiter that I worked at the time, a guy called Chris, he's our um, director of uh, internal recruiting now. I love him. I love Chris. Um, he was really honest with me. He was like, I love that. He was like, you're right. We're not where we need to be. You know, as an organization, mm. we look at, we, we look around, we are a very homogenous group. Historically, there's been a type of person we've, we've, we've hired because of the tradition of the business. Mm. Um, but we're trying to move away from that. But the reality is there's a chicken and egg situation. It's difficult to get diversity if you don't have diversity mm. so we need to start somewhere we need people like you who's going to be open and honest with us and say look these are the things we need to do differently this mm. is where you're failing this is where you're doing well so he was mm. like i can guarantee you one thing we're not where we need to be but if you come in here and you give us ideas we will listen to them i will make sure you have direct line of sight mm. to the decision makers mm. that's the one thing i can promise you mm. and i was like i wanted to write him email me Told me in email because not the ones that I'll now join. Yeah. You're not changing your mind. You'll be saying, Yeah. Oh, budget change. I don't want to hear budget change. I want it in writing. And it's Chris Willaf, who, he, you know, he introduced me to a few business leaders. Yeah. Had had a few conversations. So I talk about my job, but I also talk about who I am. Yeah. Because who I am fundamentally will come out in my job because I am who I am. I don't exactly. like to hide. Sometimes you're going to break out in a something, man. Mm-hmm. And you just talk. And, or sometimes you're... What she said. Do you know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> I just, love it. You have... You're yeah. you. You, you I are your me. Yeah. I am me. So anyways... Um, so when I joined, there were a few things like we didn't we didn't have in place. Um, mm. I was looking at like even the clients that we were working with, and I was like, mm, these things don't sound right. So I started like suggest things internally that we can just do to be a more inclusive organization. I wasn't focusing on diversity inclusion, um, and they were very very. I was so shocked. Like I'll be like, oh guys, we don't do this, or we only do events that are like um, 
uh, based around drinking and it isn't very inclusive for people who, because of their religion, can't drink or because their mm. parents, blah, 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 blah. Can we do something different? Like, they were so receptive to me. And I, I was so shocked. I was thinking... It's I, education, though. Yeah. And th- this is. goes back to what Chris said. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. It's education. You know. So anyways, I worked with Kimmel for a while. And then when Margaret Markle ha- happened, an email had gone round and someone has, has said it at banter. They sent an email around in the business saying... Um, they put a picture of Meghan and Harry and replaced her face with a white man in the business. And the caption of the email, or the title of the email was, on some more interesting news. And that was the week in her interview was supposed to come out. That really triggered me. Someone emailed it around the company. Wild and bold. In and this 21st to, century. And put on some more interesting news. And it was talking about like, so the, the face of the white boys used to replace it was talking about they'd hit the sales targets. So it was like a sales email, like a congratulation, but like basically, yeah, the no, meaning, yeah, yeah, the yeah. experience that of, Megan had had, yeah. that triggered me. So did you I, have a conversation? Did I have him? a com- I went straight to HR. Okay. Did I have a... Alicia, you know me well enough. Yeah. There are things that it's, it, it's not going to run. It's not okay. Yeah, it's but, never going to be okay. Because so in my court, I was one of two black people. But you don't even have to be black to be offended by something like that. Do you understand? Like, we have people who are mixed race might come and all these things. And I was like, there's just certain things just not okay. Anyways. She's a human being and she had a bad experience. Forget about her race for two seconds. She's a she human. She also had struggles with mental health. Exactly. She was suicidal. Yeah. So for yeah. you to make a yeah. joke out it's, of that is not, not okay. That's, this is what annoys me about when people overlook or bypass um, diversity and, and inclusion. It's, it's not... Race and everything is a factor, but we're humans. We have feelings, and ultimately, when we're not being treated accordingly, it affects our ability to perform, our mental health, and like what you said, suicide as well. And she stated that that's wild, very wild. Anyways, I went to HR and I was like, "This is absolutely unacceptable. You guys need to be checking the emails that are sent around to the business before they are sent round, or ensure that the people that are in charge of comms have diversity and inclusion training, or just have common sense." Mm before you give them that position. Mm, mm. I went to my manager, I put in a complaint. I basically put in a complaint to everybody that was going to hear me. So I got a call from my director. But that's how you make change though, yeah, Bolu. I, I love a, that you did that. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's not okay. Yeah. Got a call from our director. They were like, we're so sorry, this wasn't okay, blah, 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 blah. They like, you know, tried to make amends. An email that was sent around apologizing for it. And then I handed in my notice because I got another job. Um, that, when that happened, I was thinking, I don't want to be here. I'm done. Oh, wow. So I interviewed for another job. That process went very, very quickly. Um, and I got a, I got a job offer. Um, and I came in the next week and I handed in my notice. I'm like, this, I can't, this is stupid. I can't be here. And my managers handled it so well. They were like, what is it about the other job that you like, that you don't like about Paige? And I started to talk about the small things, mm. you know, th- little things that people like me see and we're just like, we don't want to be here. Um, but also that role had an element of so looking after, so it was an internal recruiting role, but I was also going to be looking after the diverse and inclusion ERG groups. Mm. Um, and I was like, for me, like I actually realized that everything I do has to add value. Mm. For me, like it's not just work. Yeah. You know, I, I, I came into recruitment to help underprivileged, underrepresented groups. Mm. I'm here to, I don't feel like people I'm working with are underprivileged because there's a certain type of people that work here. I want to add value. I want people like me to join this organization and be like, actually, we've had it. We've had a better experience because people like Bulu spoke up mm. when things were not okay. You know, oh, I, I missed this out. So when I was doing my exit interview with, with Aspire, I had a conversation with Paul, and you know, I was like, I must say, like, I loved working here. Like, it was such a great company. I was like, I, I, I literally never felt like an odd one out because yeah. there were a lot of us. Yeah. You know, there was me. And, like, there were a lot of us. Like, we were yeah. a really, really diverse company. 
And Paul got really emotional. He got really emotional. Aww. Like I felt like he was gonna cry. And he Paul was, was like, a, he was a good. He was, egg. Oh, he was a good egg. Yeah. Was he was really good. And he was like. I'm glad that you had that experience. And he was like, oh. you only had that experience because there was a woman before you that made things better. Apparently there was a black woman who had been at Aspire before who apparently had seen certain things and called them out. And she ensured that they changed those policies, changed the behaviors. Yeah. They were doing more inclusive events and they created the um, social team and all the, the behind diversity. That. And he was just like, you've had this experience because somebody before you educated us. That's amazing. And for me, I took that. That's And the thing is, I remind people that we need to do what we're doing today, not necessarily because we're going to see the end result. It's for our children and our children's children. They're going to feel a completely different environment and world because of what we're doing today. Absolutely. And that is a prime example of it as well. Absolutely. I love that he said Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And from when he said that, mm. I literally was like, wow. Oh. I'm going to make sure that every company I go to, make I make it better yeah. for the people behind me. Yeah. I might not see it, Yeah. but I want to make sure that every... I fall under quite a few of the underrepresented, underrepresented characters. I'm, I'm black, I'm female, I'm neurodivergent, mm. and I'm from a Lewis and Sugar background. Mm. So there are a few different pots that I have my hand in. Mm. But also, I have friends around me who are gay. So for me, you know, pride is really important and all mm. these other things. So whatever I can do to make sure, even if it's just a, a little bit, a little bit better, mm. I'm going to do that. So I said to them, I was like, I want to make a change. Mm. And I, I don't know if... Paige has the capacity for me to do what I want to do. Mm. And they were like, what do you need to do? And I was like, at the moment, a lot of our clients are asking for things that are either indirectly discriminatory or just damn right rude. Um, and I need to be able to change that. Mm. And they're like, okay, what does that look like? And I was like, I think we need a client DNI team, a team that specifically works with our client to help them work on the DNI strategy, help mm. them understand how the requirements they ask for are discriminatory, how the company culture is also really important. It's not about hiring diversity. What can we do? So before we place people with you, what can we do to make sure that your culture is conducive for them to join? You know, my, my manager always uses the, the rose in a, in, in a desert analogy. Like you can plant a rose, but if you plant it in a desert, it's not going to thrive, mm. right? So I'm like, I want to work with that. And they were like, okay, cool. We'll speak to the directors. They literally gave me a budget, like go set up the team. So that's literally how I moved into DNI role. They literally set up the team because I said, we need this team. Do you know what's crazy? Um, I can talk about this lightly. I've just been offered a very similar position to that starting up that in a very all white company, very similar company. I talk offline about it, and I've been going back and forth about going about if because I'm like this is a big responsibility because that means I will hold all of that kind of IP and that knowledge and that education. What has that been like for you being the core educator and starting up? Because I'm going back and forth from my head. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. What's What's that been like for me? I've it, I've loved it. It's been, yeah. it's stretched me, but in a really good way. Um, I think the first thing I made sure I did before I started that role was to build a community around me. So I reached out to other people that were like me, that were in this very similar positions, minorities, women, neurodiverse people who were in, in a DNI role as well. Mm. And they have really, really helped me. Like when I talk about DNI, you think I've been in it for seven years, yeah. 10 years. You talk I, about it so eloquently as well. I'm so passionate about it, but that. I've also learned so much from people that are already in the industry. So yeah. It's DNI is not a one man job. So I think for me, it was really important that I got some allies. So people even within the business, first of all, mm. but also networking with people in that industry to be like, mm. what are you doing? Okay, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this. How can you help me? So mm. I literally, so even though I was initially, I was standalone in my role, I literally had so much support people around me. I didn't feel like I was, I was alone. Yeah. That's what I recommend. But we can talk offline yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk offline. But I'm really, oh, this is so annoying that we have to wrap up because time is up, guys. <laughs> and this has been such a good conversation as well. Thank yeah, you so much, really Bolu. Where you. can everyone find you? Um, so my LinkedIn um, is... <laughs> 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 because 
Instagram is a little bit wild. <laughs> it's, a different <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. But I'll still give it. So my LinkedIn is Bolu Fashion. So B O L U. I mean, I'm sure you can write my name on the thing, yeah. but it's Bolu Fashion. My Instagram is Miss underscore Fash. Yay! Don't use my please. Don't use my LinkedIn to judge my Instagram. Okay? Don't use my Instagram <laughs> to judge my LinkedIn. But my Instagram is Miss Fash. Um, what else? What else? I think that's it. Oh yeah, Rent Rent Buddy. Oh, of, course. of course, Rent Buddy. Um, so Rent Buddy UK dot com. Um, and we also have an Instagram page called Remedy UK as well. Yay! Thank you so much for coming on today, by Thank the way. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been, been fun. fun. But I hope you guys um, all enjoyed this episode. Correct. Oh, also, I know I talk at a million miles per hour, so if you need to, like, reduce the <laughs> feel free to do so. <laughs> I'll talk fast as well so they're used to it it's all good it's all good but thank you guys for coming back and remember to share this episode with a friend or with you know your your boss if they need it or somebody take some inspiration and let us know what you think as well give us some feedback and I'll see you on the next episode